Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, welcome to another new episode of the podcast. Today's episode is an interview on collaborative creative process and fool's leaps with Davis Carr and Aaron Elise Borzak. You might recognize those names if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. Both of them have been on the podcast individually. And today we have a little group episode because Davis and Aaron are collaborative creative partners, if you didn't guess that from the title of this episode. Um, And they've collaborated on the Hollow Valley Tarot. So this is a conversation that's about creating a tarot deck, creating in community, creating together, um, doing things that feel scary, taking fool's leap, stepping out of our comfort zone, and a bit of tarot theory as well. So Davis is an astrologer. Um, She's also a tarot reader. She uses she, her pronouns and uses astrological techniques (laughs) to help fellow creative, burnt out, overachieving humans connect with why they are the way they are and connect to their core authentic self. Erin, who also uses she, her pronouns, is an illustrator and witch. She has illustrated tarot and oracle decks, and her work is about helping creative witches get clarity on their purpose so they can share more of their magic and art with the world. In this episode, we talk about their transformations and fool's leaps through COVID, the fool card, what we would tell ourselves before a big fool's leap, shifting from shoulds to authentic goals and desires, being in creative partnership, encountering monsters on your path, the process of creating the Hollow Valley Tarot together, elements and numerology in the Hollow Valley Tarot, associating the minor arcana cards with the decans, I actually am realizing as I say this, I don't know how to pronounce that word, of the zodiac, decans of the zodiac, the role of sigils in the tarot deck, Davis's five line theory for the major arcana, which is really fascinating if you're in tarot, uh, you'll really enjoy this, I think, the fives as gateways, and the tarot as a living art that we all get to evolve the meaning of. So before I share this episode with you, I just wanted to share two reminders, which is the Religious Trauma Workbook is available at the link in the description. It is a 110-page digital workbook I wrote last year that is full of prompts, reflections, meditations, rituals, and somatic exercises to support folks who are coming from dogmatic religious backgrounds in deprogramming, healing, and reclaiming themselves. There is also a Breathwork for Ex-Religious and Deconstructing Folks class coming up. We actually had to move the date, so it's now November 3rd, and it's intended to support folks who have also been impacted by dogmatic religion on a journey of healing and reclaiming and returning to self by doing some sharing, some journaling, and some breathwork together over Zoom. So both the links to those are in the description. You can check them out there, as well as the Hollow Valley Tarot Kickstarter and everything mentioned in this episode. So you've both been on the podcast before, of course, so people can listen to those individual episodes if they want to hear more about like your personal stories. I thought we could start today a little differently since you've been on before, and maybe you could each share how you've been throughout these past two years, how your journey through COVID has been, what's changed for you internally, externally, like what's up? I would love to hear. (laughs) Wow. Oh my goodness. That is a big question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the past two years, it's been a lot. I mean, the beginning of the two years, I was a full-time barista and a part-time, well, I was a full-time barista and a full-time artist. And now I'm a, uh, not any kind of barista and a full-time artist, which is great. Um, and you know, it was one of those things where it was sort of, um, not within my control that I was not a barista anymore, but I uh, took the leap because it was offered to me, um, in the way that the universe offers things where you like lose your job and then you like have to make up the difference in your, uh, 
artistic endeavors. So um, luckily it's been going really well, but I think it's been two years of like really being in that like free fall fool's leap of like, what am I doing? What have I done? (laughs) Where do I go from here? And like, how do I build a sustainable um, life and career out of what I love to do? Um, And so that's been like the big theme of the past two years, I think has been um, trying to integrate the things that I love into my future and actually building a sustainable future in this weird new world that we're living in. It's a weird new world. Weird new world. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think before Davis shares, I want to ask you maybe if you want to unpack your connection to the fool card since you brought it up and since we're going to be talking about tarot so much in this episode. I'm curious about your relationship with the fool. Yeah. I mean, I think like as a, I'm a pretty impulsive gut oriented person as it is. So the fool has always kind of felt very freeing to me. Um, I kind of love that like bit of a leap where you're sort of just letting yourself um, try something for the first time and like hope that it goes well. So um, that feeling is very exhilarating to me in a lot of ways. So I think for me, the fool has always felt very uh, childlike and um, powerful in a playful um risky sort of way that I kind of mm-hmm. love. Um, yeah. So that's like, I think thinking of it as a fool's leap for me has been a positive more than a negative in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I love the fool also. And I, I think that's just one of the things that I love about tarot is how like the cards contextualize and it's like, oh, I'm not just in this. I mean, I am sort of in this random chaotic universe life swirl and also there are these like themes and paths that have been taken before and energies that support and tarot like lays those out and that feels really supportive. It does feel supportive. And it's also just, you know, reminders. I like, I like new beginnings and thresholds. So the full feels like a very mm-hmm. positive threshold for me of like starting fresh. And um, it's a very like trying time, this whole COVID situation, but it's also been very uh, clarifying in a lot of ways, I think. Especially. Yeah. Yeah, I think so for me as well. What about you, Davis? Oh man, I my life has changed so much in the last two years, but especially in the last six months, things have really uh, gone into overdrive um, and really expanded for me. Um, so before, you know, when when COVID happened and um, at the beginning of all of this, I was working a full-time day job in the nonprofit sector doing communications um, for a nonprofit. And in the middle of COVID, my partner and I bought a condo together and really took our, you know, our relationship to the next level and buying property together is a really big deal. And, you know, really coming to terms, I think, with what the shape that I want my life to have and really like what I want my life to look like. COVID really gave me an opportunity, you know, the working from home, like just to get out of the constant adrenaline cycle of rushing out the door in the morning and trying to fit everything together. It really gave me a lot more space to think about my business and what I wanted my life to look like. Last year was the first time that I taught an astrology course and that like really opened up and gave me, uh, you know, just such a wonderful taste of what it's like to get to share this knowledge and information with people and be that channel and that teacher for folks. And in um, June, I left my full-time job in order to do astrology and tarot full-time. So that obviously has been a huge threshold, a a huge change, a a huge, you know, fool's leap. Absolutely. Um, But as I was listening to Aaron talk and, and especially about the fool, what I have been really thinking about for myself is the world card. 
and how it really feels like in the, the past year or so, I've been able to like gather all of the lessons that I've learned from, you know, the first 30 years of my life and all of the skills that I've gained and all of these experiences and now getting to decide what I want to do with them and what I want to bring forward with me into this next cycle. So I re- I've really completely overhauled my life and changed, you know, the very foundational structures of it. And now I get to recreate my life, you know, recreate those structures based on what I actually want now as an adult. Mm, That feels so freeing. It is, it is. But, you know, freedom comes with a lot of responsibility as well. (laughs) (laughs) So Saturnian. Mm -hmm. So uh, fool versus the world sort of (laughs) vibe. Uh Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as you're both talking about fool's leaps in like your work areas of life, and I've had my own fool's leaps this year too, I'm wondering if, like, do you have any advice you want to share for people who are maybe thinking about taking some kind of fool's leap or anything that, I don't know, that you would tell yourself then before you actually did it? Wow. Um, I feel like (laughs) it's funny. I feel like this question would almost be better for Davis because I know that Davis struggles so much more with that, like, initial, um, Like, I know that we talked a lot when Davis was talking about quitting uh, her full-time job about just like how scary it is to run a business and how unpredictable it can be and what a big decision it is to make um, to really go all in with your passion project as like your career. And for me, it's never been really like a choice. Like, it's always just been like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. So I like almost feel like, I don't know, Davis. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. What, what is the advice that I would give my, my past self going into this? I mean, I think my biggest struggle was honestly just admitting to myself that this is what I wanted to do and honoring that and really letting it exist on its own terms. You know, like you only can spend all of your free time obsessively studying a subject for so long before you're like, wait, maybe this is actually telling me something about what I want to do with my life and and how to combine all those things. And so I really think like in that moment, you know, obviously I got a ton of advice from my friends and colleagues, and I'm very lucky to have um, built and, and found a really solid community of other holistic business owners and folks who really modeled for me what it's like to own your own business and, and be responsible for your time in that way and do this spiritual work, but still have that business integrity. But really, my fears boiled down to fear of judgment and fear of what people would say. And the fact that admitting to myself that I had been working towards goals that weren't 100% mine, they were the things I thought I should be doing and the things that like, here is the path that was laid out for me. Just keep on going. Do your weird stuff in your off time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I think when you're ready to take the leap, you know, you're ready because it feels like you can't do anything else. And for me, I really had a tower moment in the spring where I had to take a lot of time off work because I was pushing and pushing and pushing and burning myself out and trying to do, be successful at my job in the midst of really intense work projects while also running my business and like this stubborn refusal to let go of the business. Mm. And so really, I I just was a matter of taking that time and letting myself fall apart a little bit in order to be like, what is still existing when I am falling apart? And it's, it's the business, it's this practice, and it's this desire and feeling that I have to, I just have to do it because I want to find out what happens if I do. So Mm -hmm. if folks feel that sort of like inner pillar of knowing, like that is a really important sign and you'll come to make the choice for the leap when the time is right for you. 
And I love that like curiosity too, of like, I just like wanted to find out what would happen if I did this thing. That feels so cool. Curiosity is like such a driving force for me too, and a core value. Oh, that also just it listening to Davis talk reminded me of like what I would say, like, Mm -hmm. like in response to that. And then also maybe the next part of the fool's leap, which is what I have had to really, like, I think that I'm a little bit ahead of Davis in terms of like, I quit my job a little bit before Davis quit her job. And so I've kind of been in this free fall for a little bit. And so Davis was kind of coming to me and being like, you know, like, should I help me? Help me. (laughs) And in the moment, like there's so much, I think what I would, the advice I need to give myself six months back or a year back would be, you're going to make so many mistakes. And that doesn't mean that making this choice to take this leap was a mistake. And I think I get myself in my head where I'm like, if I'm failing at this, does this mean that I took the wrong path? Like, did I make a decision that like was wrong that like led me to this point? And like, learning that the mistake is part of the process and that it's all like learning and that you're going to mess up over and over again and that it's okay um, has been a big, like you're going to fall and you're going to hurt yourself a little bit, but it's worth it. Yeah, that's so good. And it's just so true. I feel like there's just like weird spiritual dialogue that like, if everything flows and is easy, then that's how you know it's right. So it's like, if it doesn't flow and it's not easy all the time, then it's wrong. And that's harmful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so harmful. It's like, who are these people? It's just like privilege and whatever. But um, yeah, I think it's really harmful to like internalize those ideas. And then I don't know, it kind of like, can erode trust with ourselves too. If like, we feel like we did this thing and then we're expecting it to go smoothly and easily because of that. And then it doesn't, it's like, did I, was I really listening to myself? It's like confusing. It is. I mean, it's a, it's a big trust exercise for sure. I think that that, Mm -hmm. I mean, the fool's leap comes down probably ultimately to trust and trusting that taking that leap, you're going to land somewhere meaningful and be okay no matter what happens. But still having structure within that leap of faith really helps. And one of the things that gave me the ability to make this transition was one, having the privilege of savings, just quite frankly, and a partner who can contribute to our mortgage payments in the worst case scenarios that I can't. Like we had many conversations about how we would structure things. And like, I really just want to acknowledge that it's a, I, it's a privilege for me to be able to choose to leave a full-time well-paying job in order to do this work. Um, and it's not one that I take for granted. Um, and I also, it was a privilege as well to have Aaron as a creative partner because, you know, in addition to just, you know, the emotional support and all of that, like really important, having somebody on the other end of the text to freak out to, um, our, our business and our work together is a significant portion of my monthly income and working together gives me that structure that I, I really need in my life in order to feel supported and like I'm on the right track. Um, so yeah, so that's structure and faith is I think really are, are just dynamic as a partnership. Yeah. Oh, I love this collaboration between you two so much. It's like such a big smile. Oh, we love it too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So number one advice is find a business bestie, basically. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Find a business bestie with um, complementary skills and talents Mm -hmm. yours. That is Mm -hmm. um, really the the goal that everyone should have because it's totally Mm life-changing. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about this. I think I just want to add on one more thing to what we were saying, which is I think my advice to myself would be just because something feels unsafe doesn't mean it's bad. And I think I really fucked myself for several years by thinking that, um, yeah, that things that felt unsafe were actually bad and were indications to not go that way. Whereas mm-hmm. it was actually the opposite. And a lot of like everything that I've ever wanted lied on the lay lay on the other side of mm-hmm. that and moving through that. Yeah. So I yeah. had a friend when I was going through my really like kind of breakdown of trust where I was feeling like things were going wrong. So I wasn't really sure if I was going in the right direction. I had a friend tell me some really wise advice that was basically like, if you think about a story of a hero on an epic quest, 
when they encounter monsters, they know they're on the right path. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're on the path to treasure when you're encountering monsters that are guarding the treasure. So like, she was like, of course you're encountering all these struggles. Like you're on the right path. You're being tested, but that's the point because like you're being tested because mm-hmm. you're going, you're moving towards something magical and worth it. In the mm-hmm. end. I love that. I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. That really helped me. So I am also going to be keeping that in mind. Oh my God. I'm like <laughs> little things well, are clicking in my brain. Shout out to Allie because that's her little, that was her. <laughs> so I want to go ahead and name her. So she's <laughs> thank you. Credit where credit is too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to know how this collaboration has like come about between the two of you on this tarot deck and maybe like share about the tarot deck and maybe we can unpack the whole process of making it together. I want to hear it all. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll start because I technically conceptualized the deck itself. So, um, I have been meaning to make a tarot deck for a really long time. Um, it's been part of my plan for my business since I graduated college because I actually did a tarot deck in school, which I think I probably talked about on our last uh, interview together. But um, I really wanted to create a tarot deck, ended up doing an Oracle deck or two first. But within that process, um, I became friends, uh, acquaintances with Davis on Instagram Um just really respected her work and the things that she was doing. And I think that there were a couple instances where as an illustrator, I was trying to sort of get more into the witchy community and sort of offer to uh, the people that I saw who were doing cool things on Instagram and social media, like, Hey, if you ever need graphics or you need like an illustration for a newsletter, hit me up. I'm happy to do collaborations because I'm a Gemini moon and like collaborating is a big part of what makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So like, I tend to reach out and be like, Hey, any interest in this? And I think, um, I just saw Davis as someone that was similarly minded and, um, we'd interacted before and it had been nice. So I was, uh, just like, anytime you ever need an illustrator, hit me up. Mm-hmm. And I think we did a couple little projects together. And then I maybe like slyly was like, Hey, by the way, I'm making a tarot deck. Have you ever thought about uh, writing a guidebook? And I like put the little feelers out there and Davis was like, actually, I've kind of always wanted to write a guidebook. And I was like, "Hmm, well, it's interesting because I love the way you write and you seem to like my art. So maybe we could work uh, something out here. (laughs) And thus it began. Yeah, that is a great summary of of how it all came together. Um, I was just a fan of Aaron's work for so long, and I got a copy of the Hollow Valley Deck of Symbols at some point, um, and I was just so struck by the 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 magic in in it. Like the descriptions were so poignant, and I I. Um, I'm primarily a tarot reader. And so Oracle decks were a little challenging for me because there was, there's no structure to them. Each one is different. And obviously that's also the magic of an Oracle deck. Um, but as somebody sort of new to divination and in the process of developing my skills, um, I found Aaron's guidebook, especially to be extremely helpful and just so rich. And so, yeah, we became mutual fans on Instagram and in a very like beautiful, like Instagram creative ecosystem. Like I would take photos of her decks and she would share them and that would grow my following and vice versa. And, you know, just like that really organic um, chemistry that can arise from folks when you're just liking each other's stuff and starting (laughs) a comment on the post and then sliding into the DMs. Um, So when Erin offered to collaborate and do some illustrations, I was over the moon and I felt very, very cool. It was like, like, oh, this (laughs) amazing artist is into me this is you are cool I mean I am very cool very fun to hang out with on Instagram (laughs) and in real life um and then but you know like it's it's sort of like making that transition from in Instagram mutual to like genuine friend and creative partner um really happened like just when we our first time that we had a meeting together over zoom like it just felt so natural and easy and the way that 
our, as Aaron was saying earlier, our complementary skills are like, they just, we fit into each other's way of thinking really well in that we have a lot of things in common, but we also both have different strengths. Um, and so, yeah, it just was like a super easy process. Um, and yeah. Listening to you talk about the Hollow Valley Deck of Symbols and my guidebook that I wrote, I was just kind of thinking it's such a perfect illustration of our complementary skills because I struggled so much with the idea of writing a tarot guidebook. The reason I asked Davis to write my guidebook is because it was so much easier for me to write the Oracle deck because it's unstructured Mm -hmm. and Davis loves the structure side of things. And it's so like, it, it, it exemplifies the ways that we work together in our actual business as well. Like Davis does all of our project planning and organizing and I do all the like big picture stuff. And like, it's just so funny that like, the tarot deck versus the Oracle deck really illustrates that too. Cause like, it was so easy for me to write such a free form piece, but I struggled for years to write a tarot guidebook because it's so structured. And I would feel as if, um, I always felt as if I was never prepared enough to write the guidebook because I didn't know enough yet about tarot. So I just like knew that Davis was the person to ask because, um, she had the wisdom that I was looking for to like add to, Mm. whatever I ended up drawing. So Mm -hmm. I love that. I need you Davis. Too much structure freaks me out. It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Just give me all your stuff. I'll put it in notion and organize it. My my struggle comes with the uh, follow through. And that's also where Erin and I really compliment each other because I can go to her with like, here are all of the options. I've thought this through X, Y, Z, and she will just pick something. And I'm like, great. That's what we're doing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Davis is the upfront planner, but could get stuck in planning for infinity. And I am the one who's like, all right, it's time for us to actually enact this plan and do it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Such a good pair. (laughs) Truly, truly very, very lucky that we found each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Will you tell me about the process of actually making the cards and actually Mm -hmm. writing the guidebook? Yeah. So uh, this is my favorite part to talk about for sure. Um, and I, I think too, it's it's worth noting, like we, we met each other or like really like came into working together the fall of 2019. And back when we, I think it was November because there was a Mercury retrograde that we collaborated on. And that's how I remember everything. I love the <laughs> idea of collaborating on a retrograde. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It was a workbook to be clear. Um, so that was, yeah, fall of 2019. We started, we, we, we had the idea and something else that I've always been really struck by in our working relationship is we're very much on the same page in terms of timing. Like whenever we've had a deadline for the deck or a timeline for a major project, we both are very in sync about when that deadline needs to change and how much work needs to go into it ahead of time. Um, And definitely part of the relationship building for me has been having that trust with Erin that I can say like, here's how I'm feeling about the deadline and she will receive it and be like, actually, yes, me too. And then we proceed to change it together. Um, So originally we were uh, thinking about this deck starting fall of 2019 with the plan of summer 2020, I believe was our original date. And then we all know what happened to our plans in 2020. So things really, you know, blew up and, um, you know, quite frankly, like our business priorities changed. Aaron was doing more classes, preparing to launch the, um, the Hollow Valley Coven and like doing a membership and all of that. And I was still in my full-time job, still trying to like write everything off the side of my desk and, and all of that. Um, so I really, you know, it's the, the guidebook writing process probably started in January, 2020, but really has taken, I finished the last card description end of, it was July 31st of this year. So it's really been a long process and a big part of the process for me in those early days was figuring out 
how I was going to structure the deck. Because in, in tarot, as you know, Erin, there are so many different theories and ways of doing it. And I really wanted to be intentional about the systems that I was working within, um, the systems that I was drawing upon. I didn't want to just create another Smith Rider weight deck without thinking about it. And especially you know, as a white woman in Western culture, just really trying to be aware of the worldviews that are baked into the Smith Rider weight deck and Mm -hmm. all of those underlying unconscious assumptions. And so obviously I'm still creating and writing and thinking within that framework. Um, But especially as a traditional astrologer and someone who has become more and more, um, educated and thinking more and more about like the ancient Greek cosmology and how that really is an underlying to all of Western civilization. Like I really wanted those things to be present in the deck. Um, But as we've mentioned before already, like I really also needed a structure for it. And so what I ended up going with, um, we started with the miners because after a few attempts of uh, Aaron trying to draw some cards and me writing descriptions, we were like, the majors are too hard. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to come back to them later. We need to figure exactly out what like, happened. <laughs> that just I, out. <laughs> I think like we almost started with the fool, which I think now is like the last, it was the last card description mm-hmm. I ended up writing. Like it is the fool comes last for sure. Um, So what I did is I really just tried to go back to the basic fundamental structures of tarot, which is the elements and the numbers, particularly in the minor arcana. And when I was doing research on number theory, I came across the um, concept of like Pythagorean number theory, which... I am not an expert in this. I'm not like an ancient scholar or anything like that. But based on my Googling, um, <laughs> there it was this, it was a cosmology. Like the Pythagoreans were a like a, had a specific vision of the world and, and how it came about. And a really big part of that was around numbers and the essence of numbers. So zero and then like one is the monad. Um Two is the dyad, triad, et cetera. And and each of those numbers has a certain essence and a certain archetype associated with it. And then um, in the minors, we then pair that with the elements. And so when I was writing the descriptions, in addition to my own education from tarot card um, readers, and and you know I've learned for, I've studied with Lindsay Mack and several other folks over the years. So in a, I sort of took like my background knowledge from learning from other people, plus my own experiences as a tarot reader, how the cards have shown up in readings for myself and others, my own personal just interpretation of them and my own experience of them, and then also this. Um, number and element framework. Um, Because I really find when I'm uh, working with clients, it is so much easier to describe the minors in terms of those numbers and the elements. Like it's just people can understand that and see instead of you telling people, oh, five of cups means this. It's so much more valuable if you can walk them through why that is. Um, and I always have a large like element of teaching in my readings in general, because that's just part of my talents um, and how and how I operate. Um, so yeah, that, that was a a really big part of it too. And then I also wanted to incorporate astrology into the whole thing. Um, and one of the things that I learned about in my, um, in my research was the practice of associating the minor arcana cards with the decans of the Zodiac, Um, So the decans are basically three subgroups within any particular sign divided up into 10 degrees. So the first 10 degrees of Taurus is ruled by a certain planet. Um, And the second 10 degrees of Taurus is ruled by a different planet. And so as I was writing the descriptions, I also was integrating the energy of that planet and that sign. So all of these things were sort of floating around in my head and listed on our, on our notion board and spelled out because um, uh, we, we've re- we created this whole thing in notion. Um, so I would basically just 
create the page, write out all of those associations, and then draft my particular interpretation, drawing on those themes, you know, as I saw fit. And then the like the the deck really started to come together when we integrated Aaron's practice of doing sigils with the guidebook itself. Um, and Aaron, we can definitely like hop, feel free to hop in at any time. Like as I'm uh, discussing this, I can't exactly remember how it came about, but at a certain point, you started to experiment with. Um, pictorial sigils, like turning your sigils and then adding images to them. Right. So I think like kind of where this all stemmed from was also your, uh, Davis really wanted to integrate phrases of intention as well into the guidebook so that each card itself had a phrase of intention that you could use as guidance and to kind of like support yourself. And in that process, we kind of thought, oh, like we could turn those phrases of intention into sigils. And then on top of the sigils, layer the imagery into the actual lines of the sigils to create a framework for each card. So I'm really interested in sigil making. Sigil making is a big part of my practice as a witch. So I really wanted to incorporate sigils into the deck somehow. Um, And yeah, so as we were sort of starting to experiment with styles for the cards, I started experimenting with um, pictorial sigils, which is basically just laying images, drawings over the lines of a sigil um, to sort of like match the style and the flow of the sigil itself. Um, And then also those specific images are symbolically associated with the meaning of the intention, the meaning of the sigil itself, and obviously the meaning of the card. And I think that that's like, I loved the way that Davis was approaching writing the cards, starting with the numbers and the elements, because I'm so symbolism minded, like that's where I come from is that like I got into witchery through archetypes and through symbolism. So numerology and the elements and layering those two things on top of each other and then layering symbolism on top of that based on the keywords of the cards themselves feels like a very natural way to progress through um, the creation of a tarot card for me because it was important to me that symbolism was very, very um like integral to the cards themselves, because that's like where I come from. And that's my passion is symbolism. So um, the real magic kind of came in where Davis was creating the phrases of intention. I was creating the sigils based on the phrases of intention and then using the keywords that Davis had written for the cards to sort of go through my symbol research documents and pull symbols that felt um, very associated and very like poignantly um, that spoke to the meaning of the cards themselves that really like felt like supportive symbols for the meaning of the cards. And in that process, there's definitely some overlap with symbols in the Rider Waite deck because like the Smith Rider Waite deck is very symbolism based as well. Like it's very um, based in archetypal symbolism, though I would say the Smith Rider Waite deck definitely as Davis was kind of um, hinting at earlier has more of a religious bent to it than the symbolism direction that we're going in. Sorry, my cat's trying to give me me lots of love. Um, uh, Yeah. So I think that became such an important part of it for both of us that we could integrate both like Davis's passion for the astrology side of witchery Mm -hmm. and tarot. And then my passion for like the symbolic side of witchery and tarot and somehow being able to like mesh those into one card um, has been like a very fun process and very gratifying to watch it all come together and be like, oh, it's it actually works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, Davis, you mentioned outside of this conversation about your five line theory. And I'm wondering if you wanted to unpack that for us here. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I'm happy to. So um, in my early days of thinking about the tarot deck and just thinking about tarot theory in general, I mean, I'm sure the other, the my fellow tarot readers out there can uh, relate to the experience of just spending an afternoon laying out all of the cards around you and seeing how they fit together and looking at the symbols and and just like experimenting with different ways of of moving things around. 
Um, and so the, the three-line theory is a concept that comes uh, from Rachel Pollack um, in uh, 78 Degrees of Wisdom, I believe is the original source of this. Um, and the idea being that in the, the major arcana are divided into these three lines, each one representing a different stage of human development and whatnot. And so, which is great and wonderful, but when I, one day I was just hanging out with my major arcana cards and really trying to see how they all fit together, I started thinking about what if, what if there was a five-line theory? And so the way that I have divided them up is I have taken out the fool and the world card, and they are in their, their fifth line. And those two together really represent this liminal state of wrapping up of the cycle and, you know, starting something new. And I, I really find it fascinating how at the beginning of this conversation, these themes of the fool and the world were coming up so much in Aaron and I's own relationship to each other and the business, um, because I think it's a great example of the ways that those two archetypes fit together. Um, having that freedom within the structure, deciding what you want to bring with you into the next line. So if we remove the fool and the world, that leaves us with 20 cards, which divides very nicely, a lot nicer than 22 cards. Um, and so I, I have developed this five-line theory where the first four lines of the, um, the majors um, are divided up by five. So the first line is the magician, the high priestess, uh, the empress, the emperor, and the hierophant. And I really love the number five. Something else that this process, the writing of the deck has really opened up for me is so often we think about the fives as a, especially in the minors, as this card of failure or conflict or loss. Um, but in the Pythagorean system, five is a kind of demigod. It's half of 10, which is the god. And so there's a the thing that really jumped out at me with the energy of the five is it's a gateway into the other half of the cycle. It's this moment where we can see everything together and yet we're still in our mortal bodies. And so we still have to go through the slings and arrows of everyday life in, in order to you know, be people and, and exist. And so I just really loved the symmetry of having those five lines and five lines in the deck. And the more and more I started looking at the relationships that de then developed between the majors when they are lined up like this, we then have the Hierophant, the Wheel of Fortune, um, the Devil, and Judgment all in one row, which when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, like that is powerful right there. Why does that just feel so right? <laughs> right? Exactly. You know, when I said, Davis was like, is this something that I can run with? And I was like, Davis? I love this. It makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Exactly. Yeah. Those cards are all so initiatory. Yeah, they're thresholds, right? And they're, they're moments where we glimpse what is beyond us and also have to live in that liminal state of like, I am a mortal being in flesh, but also have a divine soul and feel connected to something bigger than myself. And holding that tension... I mean, I think that's that's just magic right there. And that's been such a big part of my journey in the last couple of years. And, you know, being a witch and studying astrology is sort of understanding how we can use magic and spirit and divination in order to support our poor flesh bodies through this mortal world. And it's also was a really great moment, as Aaron said, of like our, our dynamic of where I'm like, am I overthinking this? And she's like, no, this is good. This is a, <laughs> this is a good one. I um, mean, you, you are probably overthinking it, but the idea is good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's just like a nice little substructure, even within, um, you know, the, the deck itself. And it just really helped me think about those cards differently and, and see those different connections and all of that. Mm. I love that. Cause it just makes me think so much about how tarot is so 
alive and changeable and like there are these archetypes and all of that but also like every person who touches the tarot changes it everyone who reads it and interacts with it and shares energy with it affects it and it's so beautiful how we all still get to like evolve the meaning of it and the process Mm -hmm. of it and that just sounds like what you're doing also which is really cool (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wanted it to be a process of having like that room for my own vision and my own creativity and my own unique channels, but also deciding what to keep from the other systems and deciding what what was worth preserving. Um, and so I decided to keep the the Deccan system of the miners because that felt really powerful and useful when I was writing the descriptions. Like it really felt like it added a different layer. But then I, when I was thinking about the astrological associations of the majors, that has always really rubbed me the wrong way, the sort of classic um, accordion correspondences. And it's still, this is still in progress. The ideas are are still developing, but instead of going with the classic Smith Rider weight associations, I'm instead thinking about the majors as well as speaking to the energies of planets in certain signs. Mm. And so that is also, this is a traditional astrological technique known as essential dignity, this idea that certain planets are better resourced and other signs, um, some signs better than others based on their natural significations, what the planet likes. And so I'm still figuring out which card exactly belongs to whom, but, you know, something like the Empress to me just speaks so strongly of Venus in Taurus and the way that Venus can like luxuriate in the fertile energy of Taurus and grow things and nourish and support and things like that. As soon as you said Um, Empress, I was like Venus and Taurus. Exactly. Like how could there be anything else? Yeah. Venus was easy. Venus is, uh, is Empress and justice. So that's fine. I'll tell you, I'll tell everybody that we'll see with the other ones. And I just like, I think, I mean, speaking to Davis's just incredible theories and stuff. That was a big thing for me in terms of like letting Davis go do her thing with writing the guidebook is I, part of what held me back from writing a guidebook is that I felt like I wasn't in a place yet where I could really explore my own theories. And I love the idea of creating a deck that's just, um, uses the theories that we love and know, but also changes things and kind of gives us a new perspective. That's a little more contemporary and a little more based in, um, you know, the world we live in today, Mm -hmm. what we can really, um, grasp and hold on to as witches in, um, 2021. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for sharing about the deck and your process and your friendship. Um, I love hearing about it. I want to ask you both the last question I always ask on this show, even though you both already answered it before, but (laughs) um, since there is no right or wrong answer and we've all changed so much, um, I want to hear. I can't remember what I said. (laughs) Great. Me either. (laughs) I'm like, since my answer to this question changes every day, (laughs) I'd love to hear like in this moment, what living open means to you. I totally wasn't expecting you to ask this question. I wish, wish I'd thought of something beforehand. Forgot about it. I think these days, living open is really about accepting and saying yes to the opportunities that come along without any attachment to the end result. You know, we've been talking a lot about fear in our business and taking that leap, or, but like having the, the right structures in place. And something that I would really like to call in more into my life is feeling more present in the moment to say yes to opportunities that feel really good when they come out without necessarily having to like attach a whole lot of, oh, this is good for me and I should do this because and and all of that. Um, Yeah, really, really trying to just be more in the moment and open to the messages that are coming through in those in the the mundane um, world. I would say for me, um, being open to the realization that all moments can be thresholds is really big for me right now. Um, I'm in a tower year. So I think 
there's a lot of rebuilding and restarting and renewal going on where I have to just constantly remind myself that, um, failure does not mean that I am a failure and that, um, anytime that I feel like I'm not quite on the path that I need to be on, I can course correct and pivot and get back to where I need to be. And that I don't have to wait for, you know, the next new moon or whatnot to do that. I can do it at any moment and that any moment can be a threshold. So just being open to that, um, the power of any moment being, um, a new beginning. Mm. I love that so much. I'm in a tower year as well. So (laughs) good luck. (laughs) Good luck. Burn it all down. Like nothing could be more true, of course. (laughs) Truly, truly burn it all down and start over y'all. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, can you tell us how we can get the deck when the Kickstarter's up, all those things? Absolutely. So we are going to be running a Kickstarter for the pre-order of the deck. So that is absolutely the best way to get your hands on a copy. This is the most affordable they'll ever be as well. So that's always a bonus of supporting a pre-order. And you help uh, indie publishing, which is a huge, huge Mm -hmm. um, benefit in this capitalist world. Things I have learned from Erin during this process is the importance of pre-orders in order and for a thriving, functional product-based business. Um, so if folks are interested and, and want to get their hands on the deck and the, and the guidebook, as well as um, we'll have some fun bonus um, PDFs, rewards for people to purchase, including if you're interested in some of the tarot theory that we talked about, all of that goodness is going to be in a reward uh, PDF, um, as well as uh, all of Erin's symbols that she uses in the deck. We'll, we'll have an additional um, resource that people can check them out if they're interest in the symbols. The Kickstarter is going to run from October 20th to November 10th. So you should head to bit.ly slash hollow valley tarot to go directly to the landing page. Um, You'll be able to, um, if yeah, you'll be able to get a link to the Kickstarter and and go support it. Um, Yeah, we really need um, folks to contribute in order to make this deck a reality. So we're really just asking for help from all of our community um, to help us make this idea into a physical thing we can hold. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, um, we have a Instagram for the deck, which is uh, hollow, just the Hollow Valley Tarot um, on Instagram. And then you can also email us at hollowvalleytarot at gmail.com if you have any questions during the Kickstarter or if you want to know anything more about uh, the process. Amazing. Thank you both so much for being here. And I'm excited to get my hands on the deck as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.